So we have been making our way through Romans uh, the whole year, and we're in the middle of Romans 8 right now, uh, specifically Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Just this short little passage. And uh, from the CSB translation, we'll see if we can do this. It goes like this. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Spirit testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. That's our passage. The question is, what does that have to do with Christmas? How are we supposed to go from that, standing next to a Christmas tree with lights on it, and start talking about Advent and preparing our heart for those things? And so tonight I want to read to you from one other passage, that is from Luke 1. Those of you who were here on our uh, open prayer yesterday morning, you heard this passage read. Luke 1, it's 10 verses starting in verse 26 says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, you may not realize it upon first reading, but those two passages that you just heard read to you uh, actually have something very important in common. It's actually something pretty similar between both of those. I don't know if you figured it out as we started reading through those. If not, that's okay. We'll get to it in a little bit. First, a story. I was in my junior year of college, the very first time I ever asked a girl out. All through high school, uh, all through most of my years in college, I, I never had a girlfriend. I never like went on a date, never even went to like coffee, at least not officially. Like I, I had these uh, girls in high school that were kind of like friends, but more than friends, you know, that kind of weird thing. Uh, but, but as far as like officially someone who was my girlfriend, officially saying, will you go out with me? Do you want to go grab lunch? Or something? I, I, I had never done that before. And if anybody ever asked me, why not? Why don't you have a girlfriend? Why don't you date anybody? Why don't you? Uh, my, the answer I pretty much always give is I'm just like 
not really interested in anyone. There's there's no one here that's kind of caught my eye, no one that I've got that much interest in. Um, I, I was at Ozark Christian College there. It's a small school, and so I just say, you know, no one, no one on campus that I'm super interested in. Uh, but my, my good friend Mike Ackerman was not buying it, and he was not having it either. Some of you guys, uh, if you were at Winter Retreat last year, Mike was the speaker there, and Mike is a great guy, one of my favorite people in the world. He's also a fairly uh, forceful personality sometimes, and he can, be, uh, he can be persuasive and he can be relentless. And so Mike, uh, like I said, was not buying this whole, I'm not interested in anybody. He was, was not having that. And so he would press me all the time. Come on, man, surely there's somebody here on campus that you, that you kind of like, someone that you're interested in a little bit. And I'd say, no, man, seriously, there's, I don't like nobody. I'm content. I'm fine. And he would go, no, seriously, there's got to be someone, right? And he, would, and he would ask me this question. He would just start asking, listing girls, what about so-and-so? No. What about so-and-so? Or we'd walk by somebody. What about her? No, dude, stop. <laughs> um, and, and he would do that. He would, like, press on me all the time. And, and finally, after, like, weeks and then months, I finally kind of started. I said one day, okay, okay, one, there, there's this girl. She, I, I think she's kind of cute. Uh, Heather Colson. And Mike goes, ah, Heather Colson. And he gets really excited. And I thought that that would be like the end of it. Okay, now I've told you. And so now we can be done with this. But that just brought on a whole new cycle of, so dude, when are you going to ask Heather out? You're going to ask Heather out, right? Right? And, uh, and he would just press me on this all the time. And, and I didn't even know Heather, like hardly at all. Like we, we maybe had a class together. Like it was a small campus, so everybody knew of everybody. There are 800 students on campus, right? So you kind of know who everybody is, but... I don't know if I'd ever even talked to Heather, um, but, but, you know, you'd see her around campus, and any time, like, she and I ended up in the same room, and, uh, same room and Mike was there, he would do this, like, eyebrow thing at me, kind of looking at me, huh? Huh? And, uh, and I'm like, dude, you are killing me. Um, and he just kept pressing until one day, finally, I caved. I was like, all right, fine, fine. I will, I will call her, and I will ask her out, all right? And, and that was all he wanted. He finally got me to that point. So I was like, fine, I'm going to do this thing. And so... Um, I, I, I remember going into my room and pulling out uh, the student directory. It had all the extensions and everybody's pictures, everybody's extension in there, right? And, and literally, they called this thing, uh, they called it the wish book um, because students would go through this and wish for who they wanted to be their spouse someday, right? So uh, it's a weird culture there, all right? And so people got through there. I remember flipping through there and finding her in the book. And the first thing I realized is her name's not Heather Colson, it's Heather Colston. Um, and, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't even know this girl's name. What am I doing? This is so stupid. Um, but it was too late. I was too far in. And so I, I, like, I already told Mike and some other guys that I was going to do this. So I couldn't back out, so I called her. Truthfully, I do not remember that conversation at all. I think I like blacked out or something from nervousness on the phone. I guess she said yes because it got set up. And so I was going to go pick her up um, like a couple days later. We're going to grab lunch and some coffee and stuff. And so I go and I pick her up and I'm super nervous. Like I said, I've never done this before in my life. And, and we go and we hang out and, and we go and grab lunch. And she's like, she's sweet and, and nice. And so like for that reason, it's not awful. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, conversation wasn't like super smooth and flowing the whole time. It was kind of like, I don't know if this is 
you, you, anytime you're on a date, you're like, is this going well, right? But I didn't, I had never been on a date, so I didn't even know what a first date, I didn't know what a date was supposed to feel like, right? So I was like, maybe this is good. Maybe this is how dates are supposed to go. I'm trying to figure this thing out. We went to lunch at Panera, took it to this little coffee shop area, uh, this coffee shop that I liked, and hung out and talked a little bit, and, and we go back, and it was, it was all right, you know, but I remember dropping her off at the dorm, and I uh, said to her when I dropped her off, uh, hey, you know, this is, this is really fun. Like, I'd, I'd love to do this again sometime. And, and she said to me, and I quote, cool. <laughs> now, more response from the girls on that than the guys, because the girls know what that means. Guys, let me translate that for you, okay? Cool means, I'm too nice to say this to your face, but please don't ever call me again, all right? So that's, that's, and I, I got the message there, right? And, and I remember her getting out of the car and uh, me just kind of like hanging my head and pulling out and driving away. And I didn't want to go back to the dorm. I didn't want to face my friends in that moment. And so I just drove somewhere out to the edge of the campus. There's this creek out there. I remember sitting out there and uh, just, just like feeling so dejected, feeling so, I, I remember feeling so just dumb and so stupid and then I started even thinking like why why does this bother me I don't even like know this girl it's not like I'm head over heels in love with this girl it's not like uh, it was an amazing time or something why is it bothering so me so much and so I started feeling stupid for feeling stupid and and all of those things and, and then it kind of occurred to me it's it's not really that I wanted to be with her all that much it's just that she clearly didn't want to be with me it's not that, like, you know, I was just dying to be in a relationship with her. It's just that this girl, this person, had spent a sufficient amount of time with me and hung out with me long enough to be able to say, you know what, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to know you anymore. I don't need to spend any more time with you. And something about that feeling, that idea just sucks, right? That feeling where someone uh, rejects you. That idea of feeling rejected and... And, and the truth is, if, if you were to put truth serum in me back then and ask, why don't you have a girlfriend? That's why. Uh, it's somewhat true that I wasn't interested in anybody, but I kind of kept myself from being interested in people because I knew that if I asked somebody out, if I placed myself out there, that it put me at risk of being rejected like that and feeling dumb and feeling kind of worthless a little bit. And, and that fear in me, um, really has governed a lot of my life in a lot of ways. When, when uh, I was a kid, uh, I remember really wanting to play soccer and really getting interested in soccer around third or fourth grade, but not going out for the team because I was scared that I wouldn't make it or I'd be on the team and people would think I was awful at it and not like it. And, and as I said, I went through high school and college not really dating or asking anybody out or anything. And, and to this day, when I go speak places, um, I, I really have to fight in me this deep, fear, this deep-seated feeling that they're going to reject me, that they're going to think that I'm boring or that I'm not smart or that I'm ineffective or whatever it may be. It's what keeps me sometimes from, uh, a lot of times, from sharing the gospel with the lost is my fear of being rejected. Um, as I said, it's governed much of my life. And, and my guess is that it's not just me. In fact, that's not a guess. That's like a scientific fact. Uh, Psychologists will tell you that one of, it is one of the five basic fears, like one of the five fundamental fears that runs under all our other fears is the fear of 
rejection or the fear of separation. That people that we long to be near don't want to be near us, don't want to be with us. And, and there's some of us who feel that more acutely than others because of our personalities, like me. Uh, maybe you have a personality kind of like me that's fearful of rejection, fearful of not being liked or whatever. Some of us feel that more acutely because we have some very real stories of rejection at the hands, not just of some girl or some boy, um, but of like your peers, uh, some, some things, the stories you can get up and tell about some of the ways you've experienced rejection at the hands of your classmates or maybe of people you loved very much, that, that dad that walked out on you and your family uh, when you were little, that mom that walked out or that, that, that mom or dad that has stayed but has kind of just made it clear by their life that they don't fully accept you. So some of us know that feeling really deeply. But we all feel it. All of us have that in us. And, and, and I think there's probably a number of different reasons for that. But if I could take a shot at one of the major reasons, I believe it's this. I believe it's because deep down in us, whether we're able to admit it or not, deep down inside of us, all of us know that the place we most belong, we don't quite belong there. That is the, the place we're supposed to be, the person that we're meant to be with, that there is something in us that does not allow us to be there, something in us that keeps us from it. Let me say it a little more clearly. I believe that deep down in every human soul, there is this understanding that we were made for God, that he designed us for it. Believe it or not, whether somebody believes in God or not, they feel this, that there is something in them that is missing, that they, some sort of void, some lack of belonging in them that they want to get to, but they know that there is something wrong with them that keeps them from that, that there is something that is not quite right in them that does not allow them to have that. Biblically, the term that we use for that is called sin. That's the Bible's description of it. But, but everyone, like I said, whether they are a Christian or not, whether they believe in the Bible or not, everyone seems to feel it. The uh, early church father, Augustine, he was this bishop from northern Africa, and uh, he wrote like 1,600 years ago um, that, that every human being recognizes their need for a creator somewhere deep in they feel it because God created them. And yet every human being also recognizes that they don't quite have it there. And so he has this famous quote that goes like this. He's writing about God. He says, um, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You've made us for yourselves, say it again, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that is why you've seen it. I know you've seen it. You've felt it. I know some of you have felt it. That is why human beings spend their lives running around trying to find some place that they belong, something that makes them feel like they are good enough, something that makes them feel like they've kind of satisfied this restlessness in them. Have you seen that restlessness in people around you? Have you felt that in yourself? Romans 8, verses 12 through 13 say this. I'll go from the ESV from here on out. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is building off of, I don't know if you remember two or three weeks ago, the first 11 verses of 8 really summed up these two different kinds of people. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And we said, and Morgan talked about this, that those two different kinds of people end up with two different kinds of mindsets, the mindset of the flesh, the mindset of the spirit, which means they end up with two different kinds of lives that are lived according to those things, which means that they live or they end up with two different spiritual states, a state of death and a state of life and peace. And, and that's what Paul is kind of building off of here, that those who uh, are, continue to live according to the flesh, that they will die, but those who put those deeds of the flesh to death, they will live. Now, the reason that living by the Spirit leads to life is because, Paul says, there's something true of people who live by the Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, a couple things that need to be explained here. Uh, first of all, Paul says you are sons of God. You received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, the reason he does that is because in the Greco-Roman world, adoption was a very rare thing. And when it did occur, it was, almost prime, it was almost always actually to males, actually even like adult males. We'll explain that more a little bit later. And so when he says sons, he doesn't mean it's only for men. He's just, he's just talking in terms that the, uh, that the Romans would know. But he means all of us. And when he says that um, those led by God's spirit are God's sons, he means sons and daughters. That, that anyone following God is a child of God. The second thing that needs to be explained is Paul is not saying here that if you live by the Spirit, you'll be a son or daughter of God. No, he's saying that if you live by the Spirit, that's a sign that you already are a son or a daughter of God, that you first become a son or daughter of God, and then you can live by the Spirit. Um, and then he says that the reason why is because you have been adopted into his family, that he has made you his son, he has made you his daughter, and now what your heart has always known to be true, that you don't belong, that there's this one that you were designed for, designed to be with, but that something in you has kept you from him, that, that you are not accepted, that feeling that you've already had, Paul says, or that you've always had, Paul says, is no longer true of you. That feeling of fear, of rejection, that feeling of fear that you will not be accepted by the one that you were ultimately made for, it's not there. That fear has no grounding anymore. He says that those who live with the Spirit, that is, Christians, don't have to live with the constant fear of rejected by God. We're not slaves to sin. And so, therefore, we are not slaves to fear. We have this spirit inside of us that marks us as his children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, he says. Now, that word is an interesting one. Abba is an Aramaic term for, it's like this uh, term for like familial closeness. It's like daddy or papa, okay? But, but it's Aramaic, as I said. Aramaic was the language that Jews in Palestine spoke in the first century. So like Jesus would have spoken Aramaic in his time on earth. Paul, when he's there in, in Israel, would be speaking Aramaic. All right. So he says to them, we cry out, Abba, Father. That's cool, this idea of Daddy. But here's the thing. 
the Romans didn't speak Aramaic. Paul's readers didn't use this term. It would be like me standing up here and saying, because of God's spirit, you're allowed to call Father Padre or Papi. Now, some of you in here might know that that's Spanish for Father or for Daddy, but even if you do know that, that doesn't have any like emotional connection for you because that's not what you called your dad when you were a kid. And so why would Paul come to the Romans and try and express this closeness and use some term that they've never used in their life? Use this Aramaic phrase. You can call him Abba, Father. Um, Here's what we think. He uses this term because that is the exact phrase that Jesus uses when he talks to his father. In Mark 14, I believe, Mark 14, uh, verse 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he goes off to pray. And you know that prayer, if possible, please remove this cup from me, he says. But the way he starts it is these exact two words, Abba, Father. So we think what Paul is actually trying to hint at here to the Romans is because of the spirit inside of you, you can now talk to God the same way Jesus, his own son, did. That you now have the ability to have that level of closeness, that level of connection in that same kind of relationship. Now, it is a little different, right? Since Jesus is the whole, you know, second member of the Trinity thing, and he is actually like one with the Father, which we'll never exactly have. But he's saying that we can experience that same kind of love and relationship with him that Jesus has. This means that the kind of relationship that you have with God may be different than you expected. If you've grown up in church, you've been told all your life that God is your Father. You know that part, but, but I don't know if you know what kind of Father you have in Him. Um, the kind of relationship that's being described here is, is not the kind of relationship when you like go home to your parents for Christmas and you walk in the door and your dad's kind of indifferent as to whether you're here or not. He doesn't ever actually leave his little study area back there. It's not the kind of relationship where you come home and your dad, as soon as you walks in the door, comes and hounds you for forgetting to pay the cell phone bill last month. And you know that that came on us, and that's going to mean extra fees, and I can't believe that you're always so irresponsible. That's, that's not the kind of relationship you have with this father. That's not the kind of dad you have. It's not even the kind of relationship where you walk in the door, home for Christmas break, and your dad sees you, and he, but he stays in his recliner and says, hey, glad you made it, and keeps watching Sports Center, right? No, no, the kind of relationship that Paul is describing here is you go home, and the moment the door opens, your dad has been waiting for you, and he comes up grinning ear to ear, and he wraps his arms around you and says, I have missed you so much, son. I am so glad you're here, sweetheart. That is, that is the daddy that you have. That is the kind of relationship you have. Some of you have a dad like that here on the earth. Some of you wish so badly that you did. All of you, though, in actuality do. If you are in Christ, you have the same kind of relationship. And that may sound to you like I'm making God kind of chummy, you're kind of buddy-buddy. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know any better way to try to explain the warmth of affection that the Father, the infinite creator of the universe, has for you as his daughter, as his son. That's what Paul says of you, is that you have this ability, like a little child, to cry out to him, Abba, Father, and he hears you. 
and he loves hearing you and he loves hearing your voice and he loves coming to greet you when you come home. That's the kind of God that he is. That's the kind of dad that you have in him. And part of the Spirit's job, Paul says, is to confirm that in you, to help you experience this. But it actually goes beyond this. Look at what he says in verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I told you this. In the Greco-Roman world, Adoption was pretty much not a thing. There weren't really a lot of unwanted kids in the Greco-Roman world because if you had a baby that you didn't want, you would just, uh, you would just leave them to suffer to exposure. You would, you would take them out and put them on like a, a, a junkyard heap and let them just die out there. Um, actually, Christians became kind of famous for, in the centuries following this, that they would go out to the junkyards and they would find babies that were left out there and take them in and raise them as their own. But, but for this reason, there weren't a whole lot of adoptions that went on. Mostly, almost exclusively, the adoptions that took place were grown men being adopted. And the reason why is a person would be adopted is if, if I was a, a, a kind of a rich uh, man in Roman society, but I did not have a male heir to leave my inheritance to, to leave all my stuff to, then what I could do if I had a trusted, kind of beloved male servant in my home, I could adopt that young man, I could adopt that man as my very own son. And he legally becomes mine. He takes my name, he takes my heritage, and then he takes my estate as I hand it off to him. And so when Paul says you're adopted, that's one of the first things that goes into the Romans' mind. God wants to give us his inheritance. And he says this mind-blowing thing, that you are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means what Jesus gets, you get. What Jesus will ultimately have in the end, glory, uh, the deep affection of the Father, the universe itself, I believe, is also ours in Christ. That God is waiting to hand that to us in the in the fulfillment of all things, which is kind of a mind-blowing fact. And not because there's anything special about us, not because we're amazing, but because we are in Christ and he loves us to that degree. Um, But we still haven't actually answered the question, what does that have to do with Luke 1? What does that have to do with Christmas? Um, Here's the answer if you haven't picked it up yet. Both Luke 1 and Romans 8 are about God's kids. Luke 1 talks all about how Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Romans 8 talks all about how because of Jesus, you can now be called the daughter of God or the Son of God. One of the amazing, beautiful stories of what Christmas is about is it is all about a God who would send his Son so that he could also have daughters. It's about a God who sent his only son so that he could have a lot more sons. That's what makes Christmas so amazing and so beautiful is that he has chosen to adopt you into his own family, to make you his own. And it is because he sent his son to do that that he is able to make you his daughter. It's because he sent his son that he's able to make you um, his son. And that, that thing inside of you that fears rejection, 
that thing inside of you that feels like you might not find your place, that thing inside of you that feels like um, God's just constantly halfway ticked off at you. Um, according to Romans 8, is a lie. If you are in Christ, um, you have found your place. You have found the place you belong. You have found the acceptance that you crave. Not because of you, but because of Jesus himself and the great love that God has for you in him. We're going to spend a little bit of time tonight reflecting on this and what it means to be God's child because of Jesus and praying through those things. So I'll have Scott come up and lead us through that.